Hello, Build to Scale listeners. Welcome to our podcast. The aim of our podcast is to bring experiences and opinions of different industry experts, founders, and investors on two key phases in startups' life. Number one, finding a product market fit, and number two, scaling. Before each interview, we will introduce you the professional background of each guest so you can identify the key topics and expertise you might need to hear right now as a founder on a journey to win your own game. So, let's start. Maya Voy is a globally recognized growth advisor and practitioner. She has built her career in leading brands such as Google, Bayer, Heineken and Rocket Internet. As a lecturer, she participates in one of the best-selling online courses at Udemy Online Classroom, which has already been taken by more than 57,000 international students. As a consultant, she has helped develop growth strategies and build growth teams for more than 500 companies all around the world, like in America, Germany, Austria, Sweden, Belgium, Holland and Slovenia, all with international markets. In her career, she has helped several companies invest up to $25 million and scale from $20 to $100 million in yearly revenue. She studied in State Business School, Oxford University, in Vienna and Shanghai. So, hello, Build to Scale listeners. It is my pleasure to welcome one and only Maya Voy on our podcast Build to Scale. Maya, welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Radana. It's my pleasure to be on the show. And we have such an interesting topic to discuss today because you have been deep into agile and customer development and something like that. So let's add up growth methodologies to it today. Exactly. I mean, thank you for this introduction. The reason, not only because of your expertise, I'm so happy you, you uh, accepted my invitation, but the passion you bring to each discussion, it's like explosion of uh, of motivation and drive and i would also love to share this with other listeners <laughs> so thank you ah uh, that's um, so good to hear even though i was badly criticized yesterday uh by one of my um younger audience members uh she said that <laughs> my content is a little bit too slow for tiktok so apparently got to speed Ooh. up for the new ones <laughs> <laughs> okay that's interesting i think for linkedin it's good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> your pitch line on LinkedIn is that you are helping businesses to develop uh, go-to-market growth and communication strategies. You worked with over 500 companies, including uh, Fortune 500. So my goal today is to uh, put the following angle on your experience to our listeners, which are startup founders, investors, or experts like yourself. And uh, from my point of view, where I see the huge value is that um, what is happening when you, either you are a startup or innovative business, there is no time, usually. There is a lot of pressure, no experience, or also founders are coming from different backgrounds when they want to achieve their goal. And there's usually and no really money no for time. marketing. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. <laughs> Yes. So my goal is to really look at and maybe put in some structure a few key learnings. What steps uh, founders and innovators in general should look ahead and maybe plan a little bit better uh, before they start to think about growth as such? 
So this is my goal. I hope I prepared the right questions so we can summarize some key learnings from your practice because I'm really keen on to learn as much as I can from you. So to start off, uh, what is growth for you, Maya? Uh, how do you work with your customers? It's a very generic question. I just want to know your take on this one. Okay, cool. I can go and provide a very boring answer. What is the definition? But it is the rapid experimentation across different channels and just like tweaking the product and searching for audience to achieve your business results, right? Because growth... As for the name itself, it means achieving something, moving something. But that can be something sometimes difficult, especially if you are a startup. Radana said wonderfully, what are some of the barriers? But more importantly, there are multiple unknowns. So we don't know if a product or solution is so good. Uh, we don't know what market to target. Then we have like fear of missing mm -hmm. out that our product could be potentially useful for everybody. And then we spread ourselves mm -hmm. too thin. And we also have this fear of missing out about channels. So my competitor is doing TikTok. I should be doing TikTok as well, whereas I haven't really tackled two channels to deliver business predictably yet. So it's a hot mess. And we get it. Yeah. Like everybody wants to achieve something, right? And we want to take our best shots. So my message, hopefully today, will be to help you think how you can really play on your strengths and align everything to go into a single direction. Because what happens is that if you spread your focus, your resources, your energy on too many different mm -hmm. angles, you will just like achieve very little. In contrast, if you set up everything into the one direction, you can move a mountain. So when you talk about like uh, pointing to the right direction, do you mean by using certain metrics, data, framework, or is it actually important in contrast with the hot mess that you mentioned. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's begin the story elsewhere. So first, customer mm -hmm. research. We will talk about this extensively today, but one story, like I was working with a startup that does uh, cooling solutions for um, autonomous vehicles. So they maybe have mm -hmm. 20 customers on this world that they can potentially serve. And they were studying very hard to prepare like a marketing plan for them. Instead, we had this idea, hey, why don't you awesome engineer just write to another awesome engineer and ask them what are they using? Like, where are they learning? What fairs are they visiting? And it was just a simple mail that he sent to five or six people. And from there, we were absolutely confident that we will have this right up amount of channels. And we didn't have to spend like tens of thousands of euros testing the fares and something like that, because the guy actually went mm -hmm. ahead and did the research. So that's extremely powerful. Sometimes you don't have to mm -hmm. test it at all. You can just like return and ask and say, hey, I'm doing something in online communities. Would you be interested in joining this beta on there or not? Right? It doesn't have to be complicated. When it comes to A-B testing and stuff like this, I mean, you need big samples of data to do that. Sometimes mm -hmm. you need budgets. If you have like the budgets and you have capacity to do it yourself, that's okay. But literally, it's all about testing assumptions, whether, first of all, you have a brute product market fit, and we'll talk about metrics of that later on. But Moreover, like what are the right types of channels and growth tactics that you will apply in order to achieve, wait for it, your objective, one metric that matters. And here mm -hmm. there is another big trap that we need to address. A lot of people are just like discussing vanity metrics. For example, number mm -hmm. of people that signed up to our beta or number of followers on Instagram. 
God forbid. Um, so the thing is that you really have to align this with your business model, right? If none mm -hmm. of your Instagram followers actually goes into the product, uses it, and then rewards you with money, <laughs> this is what we did, right? Um, so that's very, very, very important to stay business savvy and focus mm -hmm. all your energy, all your efforts to the point of the funnel, to the metric that will move the needle in your business. All right. So what's your practice in terms of, uh, this is, let's say, the beautiful theory. <laughs> when you work with the companies or startups, uh, what's the situation when you come in? Like, what's their mindset? Do they understand uh, why they hired you and what you are saying to them? Or how long does it take until they really see the potential or like, all right, this is the way we should actually think? Because this is actually the wall where we are usually struggling with to jump over it to really maybe put the ego aside and to try to be more structured and to build the business really in data-driven way in certain yeah angle. Cool. So I do believe that it's a little bit different because once they summon me, they are already very, very, very heavy onto the idea that something has to be done and they are more open to mm -hmm. the guidance, right? So sure. it's kind of a strong painkiller in their business. Uh, the thing is that there is a spectrum. So you could literally divide all the startups from those who are maybe avoiding human contact at all possible costs and are completely off. Like they won't do the research. They will not go out of the yeah. building. They will struggle to talk with their customers. That's one end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And they overthink and own engineer and they don't like marketing. So this would be like tech developer, the majority of tech founders that we have worked with. I love them. It's awesome to work with them, but we just have to build more enthusiasm, more action in that mm -hmm. department. The second type, and if you recall somebody who's like, for example, from e-commerce or just like CRM space stuff, which is super competitive, um, they come in with very not say inflated expectation, but they are very, very, very surgically looking for silver bullets, right? So yes. they are not very into groundwork. They are not very much into research. They would just like to get results tomorrow. No, better today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <it's already> late. <laughs> and I get it. Like we can get some results immediately if they didn't that additional leap of confidence. But to do it like... In a long game, to do it on a large scale, you need to follow a certain process. And that, my dear, is actually a scientific process that Francis Bacon invented back in 19th century. It's nothing mm -hmm. new. It's just like selecting your best bets. Where do you think you can succeed and the impact is going to be the best? And committing towards executing them, that's literally yeah. it. We don't necessarily need to put another word, another buzzword to that. Mm -hmm. so do you think it's... I wouldn't say really for success, but do you think following the process and trusting it and then, of course, being uh, enough agile to to see whether it's right or wrong, it's the key point of failure where if the companies don't do that, they, they might struggle later to build up maybe some growth strategy? Okay, so the process is important because it brings things to perspective and it accumulates learnings, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you are starting out, it seems like a little bit of a bureaucracy. I get this. But if you didn't document the learnings, then once your team will get bigger and maybe you will move to another department or something like that, there's nothing left 
apart from the memories in your head, right? So it's really good to see what has been tested before, what was discovered and have this backlog of knowledge. Because especially at the beginning, you would be inclined Mm -hmm. towards optimizing for insights, for learnings, for something that is not maybe monetizable at the beginning, but just like that Mm -hmm. you are a little bit better than you were yesterday. And just like the notion of measuring that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like when you have a workout and you put a tick on the calendar or something like that. So it needs to build up, right? A lot of things have to be done in order to have this big overnight success that everybody is dreaming about. So let's make it fun. Let's include learnings and let's spin the process. Mm -hmm. Thank you, because this is actually where we find the most startups in practice. They just go with the intuition, which I think is great. And this is like the spiced ingredient that has to be there. But then to really build uh, some product that solves problem, I think this is exactly what they are in majority missing. So thank you for putting more emphasis on that. Yeah, my pleasure. And it's also like, you know, because right now it will sound like more work, but you need to prioritize everything, right? Because you know that you don't have a lot of time and you know that you can like only operate with very limited resources that you have at your disposal. Mm-hmm. So being surgical about finding your best bets is as important as well. Yeah. So my in one post in LinkedIn, you mentioned that um, companies should have, of course, product market fit before growth. Um, in what stages do you usually work with your companies? When is the best time to start working on the growth strategy and what are maybe the predispositions uh, companies should have. Uh, like now we thought the process is important, but maybe if we could pick few of the key metrics or things they need then to really start building a solid growth strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I recently evolved my thinking around this matter because right. you know how it is. European reality is a little bit different from American reality, right? And yes. the US, you could get funds that funded that you existed, at least like prior to the recession. With us, mm-hmm. it's more focusing on bootstrapping and making sure that business is sustainable. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit different modus operandi here. When we are talking mm-hmm. about European reality, which we should because we are working and uh, developing in Europe, the thing is that what happens a lot of times is that just like there is so much nervousness around Mm -hmm. the launch, right? It's Mm -hmm. make it or break it. Like they are running out of funding. It really has to be successful. So there is a lot of paralysis and people like to just like pass this responsibility to contractors, to freelancers, Mm -hmm. to maybe somebody in the team who's more savvy into decision making. Mm -hmm. But in fact, we should be making and working on this together, not at the launch, but even prior to the launch, because mm-hmm. including growth or just like whatever things are called, growth marketing, growth yeah. hackers, uh, yada, yada, <laughs> it depends from company to company, um, we should be included in market research as well. Just before we mm-hmm. started to record, there was a guy in my local growth hacking group. So we have mm-hmm. 9,000 members and that's pretty astonishing mm-hmm. for Slovenia because we are only 2 million people. Um, so wow. the guy just like put, hey there, we are searching for 10 testers uh, who would try this plugin for the e-commerce who volunteers, right? And Mm -hmm. he generated leads immediately. It was just like wonderful. At the beginning, it's very, very, very important to do things that 
I wouldn't say don't scale, but do things that are simple, right? Where people already mm-hmm. hang, when you have already demand, you don't mm-hmm. need a fancy strategy of building demand from a get-go. You mm-hmm. just have to pick up the low fruits, low-hanging yeah. fruits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, would you call this because now there are many uh, posts and many professionals talking about product uh, let growth, sales let growth, and marketing let growth. Oh, but at it. the end of the day, to me, <laughs> me, me too. However, at the end of the day, to translate this to founders, it's a bit tricky in terms of if it's a tech founder, more product founder, or more scientific background founder, it's really hard to tell them, hey, you should now learn or infuse in your DNA sales. Now, in no matter what direction, products, sales for the product or marketing or, um, or yeah, the traditional way. So uh, when uh, my learning from developing product market fit is that usually teams focus more on the product and like the experiences like, hey, how actually we are getting the lead, how people are reacting, like this kind of data and information, the learnings they are ignoring. And I see it as a huge potential then for them actually to building the, the experience for the next phase, which is growth phase. So here I would like to ask you what actually are the growth, um, I would say, uh, KPIs, what, okay, cool. what they could be. Yeah. If people don't like the number of learnings, which we all rave about, <laughs> at early stage... It- what matters, right, is that people come to product and use it. You are not necessarily monetizing from a get-go. So you would be Mm -hmm. measuring stuff such as daily active or daily monthly users, whatever Mm -hmm. is the cycle for your product. And the second one, which is really, really, really important, are retention cohorts. And not observing them just like how are all the users going through the time, like who sticks around, what is the Mm -hmm. adoption, but really like slicing it based on different assumptions. Mm -hmm. For example, when did they join the product? From which channel did they join? What country are Mm -hmm. they from? Right. There is a difference between segments and cohorts. If you're interested in this, you can um, read Lean Analytics. It's the best books about analytics that I have ever read. So (laughs) the thing is that you are very, Mm -hmm. very, very observant if Mm -hmm. the product is good enough that people stick with it, right? Because Mm -hmm. then when it gets more fun in the next stage, you would be observing metrics such as customer cock acquisition, then yeah. conversion rates when you have a monetization or to signups or something like that. Mm-hmm. But just like where the majority of times we see this huge leakage is in onboarding, right? So people sign up, but they don't come to the product or if they do, they don't come back. So after you tackle how to get people on your awesome website, this is probably the focal point that you should be focusing because we have seen drop-offs 80, 90%, like it, it was terrible. Then later on, you can of course like calculate churn and LTV, but not before you have a pricing model. All right, all right, cool, thank you. Uh, that's really interesting. So uh, maybe if we look at from your practical perspective, what are the biggest failures? Now you mentioned to focus on onboarding, but um, what are the biggest failures uh, that founders and teams should go through in order to learn? Or on the other side, what are the biggest failures you see on the way to define product market fit or already in the growth phase that they should finally s- should start avoiding? 
I'm not sure I understand the question. Could we revamp no, a little bit? 100%. So what I can see, there are, of course, each, each founder has their own story in when they are delivering the product. And for me, it's important to, to share, like, what are the failures you see mm. happening over and over? And which of these failures are healthy, meaning they give a good lesson? And which are not, and experts like you, advisors like you are saying, stop finally doing this piece. Go this got direction. It, got it. Got yeah. it. Love it. So the first one is prolonging your launch. Just like mm -hmm. waiting till the product is going to be perfectly polished and you need this mm -hmm. and that and that and this design and this video. Um, I'm not saying that it should be crappy, but... Perfect enough is probably not the standard as you are starting, right? So yeah. as long as you have some evidence, for example, from your beta testing, from showing your website to other people, just go and learn. Do not delay launch because you are afraid that not everybody is not, not going to love the product. You're not Nutella. Mm -hmm. It's not the case. You can never have everybody like you. So present it in a way that you are still generating learnings and do usability testing or beta. That's a much better way if you need additional confidence. The second thing is that they are relying too much on buying the traffic, right? And that's extremely difficult because the majority of them have very small budgets. And if they didn't do a very diligent research in, for example, mm -hmm. what the customer persona is, if you are yeah. targeting like developed expensive markets such as Netherlands, such as Germany and something like mm -hmm. that, some people don't even localize their stuff for Germany or France or Italy, which is insane, right? So mm -hmm. you cannot really have the best best bet possible yeah. by not being prepared for mm -hmm. an actual paid part of the acquisition. I much prefer to first do things organically, to just like mm -hmm. gain some early traction, to kind okay. of earn the first bunch of money yeah. and then reinvest it to paid. Not saying that paid cannot be used for um, testing and for learning stuff, but it's expensive and in the countries where a click can cost you two or 10 euros, it's very dangerous to go mm -hmm. and to expect that you will have a good validation out of that because you will just mm -hmm. burn your money on maybe 200 or 500 clicks, right? So that's unreasonable. I love to visualize those funnels. How many people do we need to attract on the website for us to have 200 paying customers? If you don't okay. understand this dynamic yeah. and you can like have your industry uh, rate conversion rates, that's a good benchmark to use first. You can have like this data for certain countries, how much would a click cost you or something mm -hmm. like that. But before it adds up, page should be done later. If you are just starting out, you will probably find your first adopter sooner in some online groups. If you are sending out cold mm -hmm. outreach through a partnership, if you are in a position to do that and just consider when you say like reversion to sales or something like that, yes. if you are selling something for 200 euros, it's impossible in terms of volume to hire a salesperson to sell that, right? You mm -hmm. don't know what the LTV will be and it's a very risky decision to do that. Whereas if you have a software for hospitals, for example, sales is the only way in because those guys just don't wander around the internet and try out new softwares. So it depends heavily, again, on your business model, but wow. you can learn so much from great practices. And for the book on go-to-market strategies, I'm interviewing like people from MongoDB, right? This is educational right. marketing. This is marketing yes. for developers and developers hate paid. They, everybody using 
ad blockers. So they need to go content heavy. Then another very interesting example that I had was from Aircall. Aircall is this software for um, support teams. It's from France. It's a French unicorn. And uh, I talked with Tanya Kips there. She was one of the first, no, she was the first employee there. And she said that for them, it was just like direct outreach and making sure that they have good content, right? So completely different, completely different uh -huh. specs. And then if you are moving more to the B2C, today I'm interviewing a guy from booking.com or for example in e-com space you cannot afford to have a sales force you can barely afford to have a customer support team at the beginning yeah wow i'm excited for this book well, <laughs> <me too>. <laughs> it's ruined half year of my life <laughs> but wait wait for the reward i, I was like a monk <laughs> That's really nice. So Maya, uh, you also work with teams and you uh, work with them in a way to create a high performance growth team. So I would love to know what does this mean? How does a growth performance team look like? What is their shape? Because if I just close my eyes, I imagine this word. I really imagine a bunch of very fit people working out in the gym, going crazy <laughs> to reach their ca calories. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I wish that would be the case. In okay. the majority of cases, at least like in European, um, European space that we are operating it, the thing is that we don't have a lot of full-time growth teams. They just don't exist. Yeah. Whereas this would be an ideal and like mm -hmm. you could have a designer, you could have a data scientist, you could have a developer, a marketeer, a product manager, and other people could join as well. Um, this is not like something which would be profitable and would make sense business-wise. Yes. Um, what is a smart choice if you are starting out is that you devote 20% of your budget, of your efforts towards experimentation, right? So 80% for the stuff that you have already discovered, just like mm -hmm. shorter to for yes. in order to make sure that your business works and 20% for learnings, at least at the beginning. Later mm -hmm. on, it can be 10, but 20 would be a great number. It can be used like in the same way, how do you divide your um, resources, human resources, right? Mm -hmm. So one day a week, we meet, we have a growth meeting and we commit that by next week we will do certain tests and we will analyze them. And what helps mm -hmm. tremendously here is to have your analytics in order because if you mm -hmm. cannot measure it, you cannot measure yes. it, manage it. It's impossible. <laughs> uh, so setting up targets. Targets should be realistic, by the way. It's not like, ooh, let's have the same amount of users like HubSpot or something like mm -hmm. that. They should be like in the same range that your company yeah. is in and you should get a team buy-in that those targets are actually mm -hmm. achievable. So that's extremely important. It's an only way how you can moderate, um, manage people, how you can motivate them, how yeah. you can keep them in track. So afterwards, after you set your eyes on the price, what this um, one metric that matters, this main KPA from your team should be, you go full in. You don't invent like five or six different growth objectives at the beginning. You would just like to nail one because otherwise, again, you would spread yourself too thin. And given the scarcity of the resources that we are facing here, yes. that's the best way how to do it, to have your rhythm to have your tempo, to have mm -hmm. an alignment within the team that 20% of their time could be um, invested into growth and should be because otherwise mm -hmm. people will just like deprioritize it. You know how it is. You do a workshop, everybody's hype, nothing gets done and then like, oh, what did we Execution do? Execution is the hardest part, huh? <laughs> Always. 
Yes. Always. It's so good to sit in a room and put post-its on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love this part too, but I'm working on the execution. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, maybe I would like to stop for a moment here because mm -hmm. are there any other barriers in terms of, you mentioned one, like not having analytics in order. One mm -hmm. in my head is also like a quite alarming technological depth that might actually uh, prevent the company to execute and be more agile in terms of um, experimentation. Is there anything else that on your mind that besides like lack of execution at the end of the day after, uh, after work? Human factors. Yeah. So is there like, <laughs> from the human factors, particularly that you are like, hey, watch out. I see this over and over happening and uh, make sure you do it right from start. So analytics... For, my, for me, it's definitely the technical depth. And are there any others you see? Well, the thing is that sometimes, <laughs> you know, people just want to prove what they already believe in, right? The mindset True. is completely off. So mm -hmm. if somebody, for example, had a great experience in their previous job with yeah. LinkedIn ads, for example, they would be braving this idea yes. unproportionately, let's say unproportionately <laughs> or even deny to test it because it works so good at the previous company. It's just like yeah. wasn't in the same industry. So <laughs> what I believe... That we should do together is to just like put your mm -hmm. ego on a side and yeah. use the scientific method because like I know it hurts some people are extremely mm -hmm. vulnerable when it comes to this but with so many assumptions and so many opportunities to fail at something because mm -hmm. very little is known a lot is unknown this mini testing this experimentation method still gives us actionable mm -hmm. insights on which we should react rather than on previous experience, especially if they are from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, okay. Uh, moving to the next question. Uh, it's also more generic, but I'm more curious maybe to hear some particular examples from you. Uh, so now we talk about some blockers in terms of building the growth strategy. Uh, what are for you the biggest failures of startups in general? What are the first that pop on your mind maybe uh, in terms of no matter growth strategy or any other communication strategy you ever built on or situation you had to work with? In our region, uh, setting the price too low. All right. Interesting. Uh -huh. um, nice. I won't go into much details here from the obvious reason, but um, I have been, I have encountered a team that has been selling to one of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, it was a data processing solution and mm -hmm. they licensed it for, wait for it, 10,000 a year. Mm -hmm. it literally costs you more to deal with that type of client because yeah. they will need support. They will always have these compliance checks and something like that, that you made it right. And here in terms of price setting, I, it's insane. I couldn't believe yeah. it. But anyways, we had to pump up the price before anything made sense, right? We had to put other packages in because otherwise, like Unique Economics, it doesn't end up, right? You cannot build a scalable business on a business that is losing yeah. money. It's impossible. So um, the thing is that we really have to pump up the price and make sure that everybody is comfortable mm -hmm. with it because sometimes, especially like in our regions, when you we used to have socialism and something like that, we were portraying yes. like our capacity to make money, to have this wage in socialism back then um, with mm -hmm. our ability to earn money now. And it's like a completely different things. When you are buying as a company, it's not your money. If 
300 euros is expensive for you. It's not expensive for a company. These are different mm-hmm. perceptions. And sometimes we just mm-hmm. have to talk more frankly about pricing because most of us have mm-hmm. a very, very, very big anxiety of setting up a price. So price is a huge one. 100%. And the second one is... Yeah, that's that's terrible in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, which is very, 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 very important to address as well, and I see this again and again, is that people are starting on markets which are not very profitable. It's very comfy to start in your local environment, but if you see that total available market in just like not representable mm-hmm. there or that purchasing power is not in order, um, go ahead and beat your imposter syndrome because you will have a much mm-hmm. better chance to succeed elsewhere. These markets that we are in are not the easiest one. People are price sensitive, mm-hmm. they are negotiating, business culture is sometimes a little bit Education. off. So an innovation that could be killed here could succeed mm-hmm. in like American market or Dutch market or something like okay. that. So sometimes you just like lost your decision making where you play the spiel. Where do you fight this game? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So what I hear is one word, confidence. Boost the confidence. <laughs> you can do research. You don't have to have a gut feeling that this is the best market ever, but learn from everybody, like talk to other founders, but just be bullsy enough to be okay with the idea yeah. that you don't have to go and visit 500 startup events and do like local pitching yeah. in the countries where people are Love not it. like very easy to invest in the companies. Yeah. Instead, you should just like, Go and test your solution and start selling elsewhere where the odds are a better chance, more in your favor. Yeah, 100%. I love it. So, okay, I have to ask this question. What's the potential? What do you see in our in our markets? You're from Slovenia. I'm from Slovakia. We work with companies in Europe. Uh, also, the opportunity to work with American companies or different words. What do you see is going to happen with the talent we have? In this region, in this area. We have great tech talent. Right. So that's absolutely phenomenal. And it's because of the primary school, right? Because here people at least learn math and difficult subjects. And for example, Serbia. Serbia is a wonderful example. Um, everybody's like outsourcing their tech marketing in development to Serbia now. And average wage in Serbia went insanely high. Right now, it's the same as in my country, right? Because right. everybody's oh. buzzing there. And this is like another thing that I don't like, um, how our countries are, let's say, good value for money, right? I, I would prefer to be known as like kick-ass people who are crushing it and are world-class in what they do. So that's why mm-hmm. it's very important to gain some international recognition and to mm-hmm expand the playing ground if you are working on anything because if not anything else it will give you new ideas new knowledge and new confidence that you can be, go ahead and beat in the business in a long term so something else which is going on especially in I, um, our region is just like ambiguity with finance and capital mm-hmm. right i said that there yeah. are not like a lot of private investments available so everybody's raising in berlin or in the netherlands or in the uk and sometimes they even have to open companies in another country because it's too complicated to get the capital in and that's extremely bad for the economy to make it so complicated that yeah. it's Agreed. literally like putting the companies away. So that's something which is a very strong uh, structural problem. And like, I understand people, like, people are pragmatic, like they would just like to survive, you know, work with what can they can yeah. get, but it's not good for what, how the uh, development of the region. 
I agree. Well, this is something I, I think it still will come, hopefully, to yeah. to change. Because the structure, the support is important. Just yesterday, I was uh, in touch with a beautiful person from Macedonia. And awesome. uh, she created a Guinness World Record in pitching. And just because she wants to build up from Macedonia and from this region, a next Silicon Valley. And she, she told me, like, you know, I'm a little bit shy to say it, but I'm giving more feedback from people just boldly. Yeah. This is the next Silicon Valley. Like, let's put it out there, and because we know the talents. So, and she's also trying to attract uh, our investors from outside to see the potential. So, I'm very happy you also mentioned this, this this sweet spot, and I hope we all can like work more together to make this to build up the the importance of it. So, yeah, totally. And we should do this fast because otherwise, okay. you know how it is. This is an opportunity now. We should execute on it. Right? I, I love it. <laughs> so, uh, back to our topic. Um, I have a new and simple question, uh, but I still find uh, in terms of mission and vision, which I believe also when you have a product market fit and building your growth strategy, it should always be somehow aligned. But what I find in practice, talking to founders, sometimes they don't really pay the attention to mission and vision. Like, it's a simple exercise for them, but then once they arrive to a certain stage defining their scaling strategy, they come back to this exercise and they are lost because they didn't do it at the beginning. So this is my experience. So I would like to know your take on mission and vision and how do you maybe work with it uh, in terms of building the strategies? Okay, you won't agree with this answer, but I'll say it anyway. Come on. I believe, I believe that when you are starting out, you are too busy with other things. Uh, it's important to have values, right? What we do, what we don't do, what we stand for. It doesn't have to be like a very fancy document. But for mm -hmm. example, we don't pollute nature. Nature. We are not scamming people. We are mm -hmm. nice and like equality-based workplace or something like that. But this consensus is done in the team and it's still forming, mm -hmm. it's still shaping. So yes. as long as people have had the right conversation and sometimes even difficult, the ethical dilemmas are popping on the job, right? For example, if a customer is upset on the support, how do we tackle that? Do we thank them for this email? How fast will we do? This is a manifestation of value. So you have mm -hmm. to believe on something. But yes. I do believe that in early stage, I would say that impact led growth. Oh my God, I just brought in another led growth. Um, <laughs> just like as having this as a glue to guide, to be a compass mm -hmm. to the direction that you are going. So you don't have to have like discussion every time something happens in order to align, but you have something that aligns the team is mm -hmm. useful. Um, nevertheless, it can be a strong positioning and competitive advantage as mm -hmm. well, especially right now with Gen Z and a whole emphasis of doing business ethically. Sometimes customers will require those answers, but I completely understand why this is done in a little bit more scrappy manner or like yeah. light manner from a get-go because it's life. <laughs> agree. Uh, so that's surprising. So, yeah, yeah, I do agree. No, no, <laughs> I do agree. Okay, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I do agree, and I, um, I like the, the the mindset because then what I encounter usually uh, then is a little bit the ego that founders have very strong vision of what they want to build and how it's supposed to be. And then trying to make them more flexible in it, uh, showing that, all right, it's not just their perspective, but 
their team, um, their core team and the customers. That was perspective. Exactly. Awesome. So, so that's why I, I agree. <laughs> we just call it different. So I'm into values and you're into mission and vision. Exactly. Most probably that, that's where we <laughs> try no, to find It is important. Them. I just like, again, totally comprehend why it's difficult to make it as a first priority. Yes, I agree. So uh, maybe to slowly, slowly be wrapping up this, what are the, because you mentioned one weakness in terms of the mindset of confidence, in terms of pricing or what market we are going to, to target. In terms of personality, are there any mm-hmm. other weaknesses or opportunities for founders when they are developing the strategies or just doing their companies and their visions that you are yeah, kind of regularly meeting and not only being, let's say, the advisor, but also in some way a mentor to these people. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah, you can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to <laughs> bring in another spectrum to the vacation, the vacation but anyways... The thing is that it's really difficult to make decision and to focus, right? Mm-hmm. You are all the time seeing new opportunities. It's very difficult to put in the critical amount of work when you can like legitly test that something did work or didn't work, right? When you can say that. And it's just like a life without any immediate gratification. So usually mm-hmm. if you are scrolling on social media, like this and like that, your dopamine is pumping, you're so happy. But when we are working, when we are building, it's just like suffer and long hours and impossible lifestyle and not going on vacation. And I mean, it sucks, right? And once you made such a big sacrifice, then when you finally have to go to the market, <laughs> when you decide to go to the market, uh, you have a bunch of insecurities and um, ambiguities. So that's very, very, very important to acknowledge mm-hmm. from a get-go, to listen to somebody who has failed, because the best founders have failed multiple times. Like, this might be my 60s business idea. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, like Chupacanga said, you get up. You get knocked up, you get up again. That's it. So this resilience is supremely important because we are very emotionally attached to what we are building. And um, in the event that something is not going to go exactly down our roadmap, we should be persistent and have alternative scenarios. That's very important. Not just like, everybody Mm -hmm. apart, my mom hates me. Yeah. I love that uh, alternative scenarios. Yeah, that's a very good exercise to do. Yeah, okay. Uh, Maya, so I would, um, so you already a little bit mentioned and gave us a sneak peek about the book. Yeah, I'm obsessed so, with it. This is everything love- that I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking now, right now, about your book? Is there any other sneak peek you can give us? For who is it? What we can like look for? Why are you writing it? What's your motivation behind it? Please. Uh, because of the audience. I was okay. struggling so hard by applying these, let's say, well-founded growth methodologies to an area which was which is different. We just like don't operate with the same resources. And um, it made a lot of sense to me to 
unite startup methodology growth methodology because at the end it's all about assumption testing right it makes sense from that perspective the second thing that i wanted to give to audience is just like this notion of what are the best channels and the best thing to pick based on your business model um, that we have derived through case studies right so there are like 15 case studies in the book from all around the world and I'm extremely excited about this as well I did make sure that there are a lot of Europeans as well um, so this is something which is be I think is going to be very inspirational and last but not least um, it's just like understanding how this is done holistically right because in terms of startup literature everybody like has Steve Blank then we have Lean Startup we mentioned Lean Analytics today but a lot has happened since and what I'm the most concerned of when companies mm-hmm. are starting out is if they are engaging and that's a chapter that I'm writing at the moment, um, <laughs> if they are relying too much on demand generation as mm-hmm. they should be relying more on demand capturing. So how to even mm-hmm. test that there is demand for something. If right. people are already on a platform, that's a perfect place for you to start the best test that we did for like product-led companies come from either like product hunt or AppSumo or google ads or something like that where people who already raise their hands and say hey i'm potentially interested in this right Mm -hmm. so that's a much better start than to develop some creepy content strategy and do reels from your office this is a long game it's an Important game in a longer term, but from the beginning on, it's very unlikely that it is going to move the needle. So understand the play. Do you have the resources, the capabilities, the stamina to go into demand generation, to go on conferences, to go on podcasts, to say what you love the most for gazillion times before you will see any money? Or is there already existing demand that you can just like invite to consider your offer? And that's supremely important. And people also are very yeah. reluctant to old school sales methods, wow. for example, partnerships or fairs or going to the conferences or something like that. But sometimes you just have to do it. They're, they're very effective. Okay, I can't wait. So when when is the, the release date? <laughs> this is a question <laughs> that I very... I, it's important. It's good for my accountability check. So I will say it's safely September, but um, I already have like Woo! a list where you can just like, hopefully I will have some newsletter or something like that. But I would just, no, help me. Help me be more committed <laughs> towards finishing the book because I know if the people oh, are waiting, if they are exciting, I, <laughs> I will speed up. You are, Adana, you are. You will get a signed copy uh, as a podcast host. <laughs> I can send you a, a message every week. No worry. Just tell me. Oh, please Just don't. Give me the permission. <laughs> Just, okay, okay. No permission. I mean, a permission of excited person. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate okay, the offer. Worry. I have a deal like this for with my, my friends for fitness and it works fantastically well. It's just like um, my guilt is my worst pressure at the moment. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, um, I'm definitely excited. And now let's go and let's sum it up. And I have, let's say, five spicy professional questions for you. So oh, let's see wait. how you will answer. I, yeah. I didn't get okay. them in advance. <laughs> That's a surprise. No, you didn't. 100%. Maybe maybe a few of them you did, but maybe not. So some of them are very simple, but let, let's jump into it, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I know you said no... 
oh yeah <laughs> i know you said no no work-life balance question but i always ask this one how long do you sleep please ah seven hours a day oh nice very good huh? very good mm-hmm. answer <laughs> okay what was the most difficult client you ever had just one situation if you that you would never like to repeat it again There was a team in Belgium where only one people spoke in, uh, spoke English, others spoke Ooh. French, and there was an iOS developer who had to translate everything that we discussed, and those meetings could last for three or four hours. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. But, I mean, as far as it got paid... <laughs> Yeah, the emotional text and just like the efficiency of helping people. Okay, I I feel you. All right. Uh, Maya, what is the value of your consulting services that you bring to your clients? If you have now, because you have already many years of experience, for me you are a huge inspiration. And how would you just maybe pitch me confidently yourself? Um, I wouldn't because I'm not taking in new clients. I'm booked since uh, till next year. All right. Now I'm very sorry, but I guess the connection was not perfect. <laughs> uh, no worries. Uh, maybe you can cut it out now. Um, I had a joke that I'm booked till next year, so I'm not taking uh, in new clients. Right. But just like, no, there are two pillars of value that I can explain. Yes. So the first one, obviously, is professional, how to bring in methodology, how to select your best bets, how to align everybody that they are working on to the same direction. That's the first mm-hmm. one. The second one, and I just I'm just learning to embrace it this year because right. I'm very much not into psychological things. Um, but everybody that I have ever interviewed has said, energy you drive me you motivate me you help us just like be more excited about business and I was not very passionate about pitching it but I'm slowly Mm -hmm. embracing it as a part of my personality because you know how it is it's like in sport I'm a very competitive person and I just like to make everything as a game right um I just like to compete with people which is great and um slow gives you a little bit of a win you know on the journey which is not extremely easy No, I loved even the joke and even this, what you just said. I think it perfectly sums up the spicy part. <laughs> no, but nevertheless, so for, like for the majority up, of my so clients. Getting... Yeah, sorry. The majority of my clients yeah. are coming from recommendations and from podcasts and content that we are making. Um, I would say that like this is normal in every service business. You get 60 or 70% of business for referral. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So last question. If there would be one growth advice you could give to anybody who's starting or failed too many times, what would it be? The boring one is do more customer research and do exactly what uh, your customers tell you because you have only one boss and that's the customer. More exciting one would be that be like among first people on the channel and just like be consistent on one channel at the beginning it can be one offer one customer one channel and just like do it drill it until you make the best out of it don't go and jump on another island just there so one audience one persona then we have one offer one product and one channel that we are promoting from 
Hello, Beautiful Skate listener. This is end of the podcast with Maya Voye. Unfortunately, due to some bad weather conditions, we got internet problems. However, I believe you've enjoyed this episode and we have delivered the biggest value we could. Please, if you have time, I'll be happy if you connect with me on LinkedIn. You will find my contacts in the description on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also, if you enjoy listening to these episodes and our channel, please hit subscribe and give us a review because this will support our channel and also show me how much you are enjoying our interviews. We publish weekly and we are the Build to Scale podcast. Thank you for listening. It means a lot.